A gutter ball of a sophomoric white middle-aged male sex farce fantasy that quickly wears out an already tenuous welcome. That is a blistering and really funny quick review. I can't wait to read the full review from Michael Rechschaffen of the Los Angeles Times. Michael Rechschaffen of the Los Angeles Times just crushing the Jesus rolls, which I will be doing as well. This has a great cast, a great cast, and it's one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. If you're into pain, check out The Jesus Rules. We'll get to the review in a second. As always, thank you for checking out Cinephile, and happy birthday to my man Joe. He turned 30 this weekend, but it was on Daylight Savings Time, so March 8th is his birthday. Joe, you got cheated out of an hour. That's not fair. I'm still upset about this, Um, but as I was telling you off air, everyone, Cinephile listeners, we're not doing anything November when Daylight Saving Time ends. One hour for that day will be dedicated to my birthday on March 8th. Everyone's welcome to come to wherever I choose. <laughs> Invite coming soon. As always, give us some love on Apple Podcasts. Please do subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, particularly, I like this one here from Anthony.Avila41. You know, normally, the people are just going with, like, you know, the bad guy 127, but this is Anthony.Avila41. I feel like if I went at gmail.com, I'd be able to find this guy. But I didn't enjoy hit their stride, the new incarnation of the podcast. Love the switch from the Sopranos segment to Total Recall. Although Joe and I it would be helpful if when you're going through the categories to first say who the actual winner is worse, the audience can know if your picks differ. Good point. Let's get Joe a segment. Maybe reviewing one of his favorite movies since his tastes somewhat differ from Adnan's. Always worth a listen. Well, listen, if that's what all of you want, if you want Engelbrecht to get his own uh, segment, we've already discussed this before. The segment will be Joe doing stand-up. I mean, that's literally the title is going to be Joe doing stand-up. And if Joe wants to review a movie he loves, that's fine. If for some reason he wants to talk about Ghostbusters, go for it. But if it's just going to be Joe doing stand-up, we're doing that as well. So I'm completely in favor of this. We'll put it right after Toe Recall. It'll be called Joe Does Stand-Up. And Joe, that'll be your segment. I'm in. Do I, do I hear? Do I hear? Yeah. Do I hear a yay? Yay. yay. We're in. Okay. Yay. Done. I'm doing it. That's Joe's segment coming soon. I love it. Uh, thank you, as always, um, to everybody who is supporting the podcast. And I always like to give love to other podcasts. Check out my buddy, Ryan Rossello, of course, longtime friends from our days at ESPN. He did a great, and I'm not exaggerating here, a great job with Craig Kilborn. You're thinking, Craig Kilborn? I'm like, yep, the Late Late Show uh, was at ESPN for a few years, did SportsCenter, um, I don't know what years it was, maybe 96 to 99, something like that. Um, left the Late Late Show. They, I remember at the time, was always going to do acting. He was in old school. Then we heard from him again. And Ryan smartly asked Craig, hey, like, what happened? Like, why did you leave? What's your journey been like? How are you able to survive monetarily living in L.A.? Like, isn't anything in a long time except his Instagram, which he has a lot of passion for, which I'm now following, Mr. Craig Kilborn. Check it out. But it's always amazing uh, people in life who walk away at the top, like Calvin Johnson, right, in, in football, Megatron, Barry Sanders. Like, whenever you're like, hey, you know what? I've had enough. Rob Gronkowski. That was Craig Kilborn. I did it. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I never thought I would do a late night show. And I'm proud of it. And now I'm out. And uh, it's a really, really funny. God, I don't know if I've ever listened to a podcast twice, but I listened to it last week and I cannot wait to listen to it again. And Ryan did a really good job with it, just letting Craig kind of go all over the place. I mean, they really ran the game. And as Ryan texted me afterwards, Craig Kilborn's charm, which I don't think anyone else does this. I don't think anyone does this. Endearing arrogance. Like, Kilborn refers to himself as smug and condescending. And it's so funny because <laughs> somehow he makes those qualities likable. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the show. Like, I remember I would see it here and there. I mean, I always loved Letterman, obviously. And then Craig Kilborn was on after him. But I, having listened to that, I miss Craig Kilborn being out there in pop culture. And apparently there's an article in the LA Times in which he interviewed himself. 
It's like a Craig Kilborn interview where he does the questions and the answers, which I can't wait to look up. But Joe, I feel like Craig Kilborn may be a little bit before your time, but funny guy. Love Craig Kilborn. I follow him on Instagram and he's responded to some of my comments on Instagram before. I'm all about him. Uh, no, I used to watch his show when I was younger. He's also, uh, you, you know, I'm a really big Minnesota. Oh, big, uh, big Minnesota guy. Big, a big yeah. Timberwolves guy. He's a big Timberwolves guy. So he would do... Uh, you know, field pieces of where he's like with Kevin Garnett shooting stuff. I remember he did a bit where he uh, went up against Steve Kerr in the three-point contest during one of the All-Star weekends. <laughs> he totally got dismantled by Steve Kerr. But yeah, love Crave Kilborn so much. A giant T-Wolves fan. Uh, and, I, and you and I both know there's people who say, oh, I'm a big fan of the team. And you talk to them, they don't know anything. Uh, Kilborn on the podcast with Russell. I mean, they, they go deep into basketball. He mentions, and you will know as a T-Wolves fan, the Randy Foy years, Al Jefferson years. Oh, yeah. Um, Kilborn played at Montana State, so he tells stories about Montana State. Like, he, he's a legit NBA fan. He has NBA league pass. Like, I don't know if he's watching basketball like Russell. Nobody is, but he's he's definitely locked in the NBA. So you, particularly as a T-Wolves fan, will appreciate uh, his passion. And he also talks about Garnett leaving, all that kind of stuff. So make sure you check out the Ryan Russillo podcast. Of course, it's part of the Ringer podcast. It's really, really fun. All right, let's get to the business at hand. A couple of movies here. Not only the Jesus Rolls, but Onward. New film from Pixar. We know Pixar always knocks it out of the park. The synopsis is this. Two teenage elf brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot. I just want to create names one day as a screenwriter. Ian and Barley Lightfoot go on a journey to discover if there is still a little magic left out there in order to spend one last day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. It's directed by Dan Scanlon who is based on this in some ways, uh, my understanding is it's autobiographical, also dealt with the death of his father at a relatively young age. And um, the voice cast is always impressive when it comes to Pixar. Tom Holland plays the lead. Chris Pratt, really funny, is Barley, who is his older brother. Julie Louis-Dreyfus playing Laurel, the mom. Uh, Octavia Spencer steals a few scenes as the manticore. And uh, from there you go, you know, Tracy Ullman and a few others, Wilmer Vildorama. It's a quest movie, which is why for Mount Rushmore, Joe came up with the inspired idea to do the best movies ever involving a wizard. So that Mount Rush was coming up momentarily. But I'll say this for the movie. I go in with high expectations. I love the trailer. And it's good, but not great. And you know with Pixar, they're always going to have a high level of quality in terms of their animation. And as I mentioned, the voice cast that they assemble. But this movie, unfortunately, feels like a collage and an assemblage of other better movies. You know, you've got elements of Inside Out, which is a great Pixar original film. You know, about childhood and dealing with pain and sadness and loss. And here you have these two characters, you know, dealing with the fact their dad died long before they had that connection with him. But I think Inside Out dealt with that emotional terrain much better. You know, you have elements of uh, a dreamish movie like Shrek, you know, and the fact these like oddball characters and they're on a quest and they're trying to find something. And so ultimately, I, I recommend the movie. I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs because it's a good movie and it's fun. And I, particularly, I thought that the third act was good. You know, what happens is if you've seen the trailer, you know, they find this old uh, spell their dad had put together where for one day he could come back to life and he could spend the day with his kids to see what they, they came up to, which is a very sweet idea. And so when they actually cast the spell, it kind of runs out with the magic wand and only his legs appear. So the whole quest of the movie is they've got to find the rest of dad and so that they can, you know, spend some time with him. And so literally it's just his legs. And so it's kind of like a weekend at Bernie's situation. I mean, you're carrying around, instead of a dead guy, it's a half guy. And they have to dress up the rest of them so people don't think it's odd. And, you know, you've got John Ratzenberger, I think, showing up as like a horse policeman. I'm like, that 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 was unbelievable. The fact there's a centaur in the movie. I'm like, oh, my God. But um, I thought the final act was good, you know, when you finally get to that resolution of fathers and sons and all the rest of it. But, but ultimately, I do think you were cobbling together other elements of better Pixar movies, other kid movies. Um, 
And that's why I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Still a good time out the movies. Obviously, my kids enjoyed it. If I can complain once again about movie ticket prices, I was aghast. Sunday, 4 p.m. show, AMC Garden State here in Paramus, New Jersey. And there's not exaggeration. As people know, I have four kids. I only took two of the boys for myself and two boys. Ticket price, $63.56. I go, hang on a second. This is a Sunday matinee. Like, how the hell is this possible? $21.49 for my ticket. Two of my boys, $18.49. I was like, what? And I, I asked the woman, because they don't even have people there anymore who can actually uh, answer these questions proficiently. You just have to literally go to the AMC. And I'm uh, obviously not a moron, so I know how to swipe my card and get my tickets. But then when the ticket taker takes them and I ask, hey, seriously, why is it $63? I don't know. Maybe because it's a new movie. That was her reasoning. I don't mean to put anybody on blast, but if that's your reasoning at a movie theater, like maybe it's because it's opening weekend. I'm like, no, that's not the case. I'm sure if I saw The Way Back, they're not charging me $25 to go see Ben Affleck because it's opening weekend. So I had to do a little bit of research of my own. It's because I was in the Dolby Theater, which has particularly strong sound, that I had to pay this heist of a price. And I'm like, listen, next time I'll go right down to Ridgewood here, five minutes away, bit of a rinky-dink theater, eight buck tickets, like fine. We don't want to go to the AMC. Joe, $63, okay? Plus, of course, a large popcorn, a couple slushies for the boys. We're looking at $86 to watch onward. Like, that's just not right. That's not right. It, movies are one of the only last, like, affordable entertainment spectacles that someone can treat themselves to. Was it at least hashtag legs up? Like the recliner chairs where you <laughs> yeah. hit the buttons. Although, although, thank you for mentioning that. The recliner didn't go all the way. Like, I'm thinking, all right, if this is $63, I'm going to go recliner the whole way. And if I catch a nap at some point, like, whatever, that's life. Yeah. But no, it, it was like the half recliner. So feet up most of the way, but you're not going all the way back. Like, no, this is a half recline. I'm like, come on, give me the full recline. If I'm paying $21 for a ticket, I need that full recline. <laughs> uh, Adnan, I'm really curious, though, from our conversation last week, what did you think of um, the Simpsons short that pr- oh, uh, preceded it? I'm glad you mentioned. First of all, it was really short. I mean, I'm going to say it was like five minutes. Like, I remember seeing this, and I had forgotten about it, that we had mentioned it. And we get settled. I'm like, oh my God, Simpsons. It's just about Maggie. And again, I haven't seen The Simpsons, I mean, over a decade. Right. More than that, probably 15 right. years. But it was just Maggie related. I'm like, oh, okay, I would have thought, if you're going to go for a short, it's going to be about Bart or Homer or, heck, even Lisa. But just Maggie related, not great. Two Maple Leafs. All right. All right. I kind of expected that, but uh, sounds like the movie was better than the short. Overall, pretty good. Correct. That's the best way to describe it. Some other reviews here. Asher Liberto of LA Weekly. Pixar specializes in grounding storybook worlds in real world problems. And this one does so with a sprinkle of pixie dust and a dash of realism. Glenn Weldon of NPR. A testament to the remarkable degree of emotional expressiveness that Pixar's character animators can imbue into a story. And Ben Kenigsberg of the New York Times. The road movie set in a world of elves has its moments, but by Pixar standards, it doesn't quite cast a spell. That's the review that I most agree with. Onward, I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. And then we get to the Jesus Rolls. I saw John Turturro and Colbert talking about it, and I love Turturro. I mean, God, Pino and Do the Right Thing, one of the all-timers, right? Mac is a movie that he, he directed. He has a lot of passion for it. It's about his dad. I don't know if people have seen it, but you haven't seen Mac before, really from John Turturro's heart. He's in a movie I love called Quiz Show. He played Herbie Stemple, one of the great outsiders, outcasts, Guy should have won an Oscar for supporting actor that year. It was amazing. Also, I like him in other Spike Lee movies. I'm, you know, Jungle Fever. I like him in Mo Better Blues. But my wife was criticizing me. She goes, you love Totoro. Like, what's he done lately? I'm like, oh my God, he was incredible in the night of. That's one of the great miniseries of the last five years. Yeah, okay, okay. What about like a starring role? I'm like, hmm. 
kind of been a while. And I, as uh, listeners know, I panned Gloria Bell, which she was in with Julianne Moore, which came out last year. So I had high hopes in this case, because not only is he starring in it as Jesus Quintana, not Jesus, it is Jesus, and he's directed it as well. And listen, listen to this cast. John Turturro, Bobby Cannavale, who I love ever since the station agent, saw him in Glengarry Glen Ross, got a picture of him with him outside afterwards. Great guy. Love him in The Irishman. Incredible in Boardwalk Empire. Audrey Tatu, who is in Amelie. Susan Sarandon, still acting, showing up. Turturro pulls some strings. Pete Davidson. Like, I don't watch SNL, but I know Pete Davidson's funny. As soon as he showed up in the movie, I'm laughing. John Hamm playing a hairdresser. He was great. J.B. Smoove from Kirby Enthusiasm. Christopher Walken, for God's sakes. Even Tim Blake Nelson. But quite simply, this is a horrific movie. Horrific. It's one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Last year, I know I gave The Edge of Democracy one Maple Leaf, which was up for the Brazilian, you know, it's a Brazilian film up for Best Foreign Film. I might have to give this one no Maple Leafs. Like, I haven't given a full rendition. It's, it might be a half. I don't even know why the hell I'm going to give it a half. It is a no Maple Leaf movie. Here's a story, okay? Hours after being released from prison for good behavior, Jesus Quintana, John Turturro, reunites with his best friend and fellow underachiever Bobby Cannavale. In the first in a series of rapidly escalating bad decisions, they steal a vintage car parked in front of an upscale salon and hit the road for a no-holds-barred joyride until the car's gun-toting owner, that's Ham, they could use a lot more of Ham playing the hairdresser, catches up with them, wounding Petey. Fleeing the scene with the fiercely free-spirited shampooist Marie, that's Audrey Tattoo from Amelie, Jesus and Petey continue their adventure in a series of stolen cars, cementing their partnership with an epic petty crime spree and a three-way romance. It is devoid of all humor. I mean, I remember Dr. Bob told me, Robert Gardner, who's our chair at Ryerson back in the day, said, you know, if a movie doesn't grab you in the first 10 minutes, you give any movie 10 minutes. If it's not getting rolling in 10 minutes, if you're not feeling anything, you should stop watching. Now, I don't subscribe to that theory. I still think movies can get better after 10 minutes. You can have a bad opening and the movie picks up. I think a lot of movies start out well and end up going downward. So, I mean, I'll hang in there. But I understood his point that there is absolutely something to be said for, hey, I'm giving you 10 minutes of my time. You got to grab me early on. And if this isn't working out, and the only reason I'm watching this movie is, as I mentioned, I love John Turturro, and I love that character. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love the big Lebowski and doesn't come out saying, Jesus Quintana was one of the funniest characters ever. He's in one scene. He licks the ball wearing a purple jumpsuit. Like, incredible. Like, at all levels, one of the funniest parts of a really classic, funny movie. And yet, this is like an example of an SNL sketch. It's why Pat is funny in SNL, and there's no reason it should be a feature-length film. Like, it's Pat? No, I don't want to watch Pat for an entire 90-minute movie. God bless, the movie's only 80 minutes, but it, it, it is excruciating. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, there's one scene that I even smiled at. I don't think I laughed once. There's one scene that I smiled at, and then, of course, was the clip they showed on Colbert. And I was like, okay, classic. So the one clip they know it was funny. A lot of weird sex in the movie. Like, that, that's right about that review there, the three-way romance. It's weird sexual stuff. Turturro's naked a lot. You see his ass a few times. Like Bobby Cannavale's naked a few times. Audrey Tattoo, the weird threesome. Like, just weird. Susan Sarandon comes in trying to climax. I'm like, what the hell am I watching here? Like, this is disgusting. I can't believe they agreed to these actors to do it. Like, how did J.B. Smoove, like Christopher Watkins in one scene. Okay, fine. Hey, Chris, do me a favor. Come in one scene playing the warden. But I mean, it is just completely uninspired. Jesus Quintana should have stayed in The Big Lebowski. If, if you told me there's a spinoff movie, I'd say, okay, let me guess. Is he going to be bowling? No, there's one bowling scene in the whole movie. That's the one scene they showed on Colbert. I'm like, wait, I thought he's like this great bowler. I thought that was the story. But no, it's about him and Cannavale just acting stupid and having three-way sex with Audrey Tattoo and meeting Susan Sarandon and stealing cars. I'm like, this is lame. This is so unfunny.
And and what's always good, and I recommend all of you to do, is to see a movie first and then go and check the reviews. Because again, I bought this on DirecTV, eight bucks, Saturday afternoon. Let's just crank this in here, 80 minutes. And I'm like, I cannot believe I paid eight bucks for this. Maybe I should have checked the reviews first. And I, and by the way, in the case of Hunters, which I, I give a lukewarm review, I didn't know what the reviews were. I assume they're pretty good. People love everything the hell on, on Hulu or Amazon or HBO. And then Joe told me last time, actually, it's been mixed reviews. I'm like, okay, good. So I was on the right wavelength. I'm half expecting. I'm like, oh my God, like imagine if people actually like this movie. But as I check Rotten Tomatoes, 22% right now. I'm like, no, no, everybody knows this movie sucks. Garnet Fraser of the Toronto Star. John Turturro thought there was a full feature film in Quintana. And so decades later, we get the Jesus rolls, which doesn't quite prove him right. That's being kind. I agree with Michael Rexchaffen, whose review I already read. Also, David Ehrlich at IndieWire, who's really funny. The Jesus rolls only gets more seductive as it ambles toward oblivion and textures the story of the gentle sense of comic justice. And its genial vigor gradually comes to excuse Turturro's abject lack of style. I guess he's kind of complimenting him a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's not a good movie. It is an absolute gutter ball. No Maple Leafs. How about that? I don't think I've ever done that. No Maple Leafs for a movie. It, it's awful. Joe, I don't, want, I don't want to give it one Maple Leaf and someone's going to go, well, okay, maybe there's a couple of good scenes. No, there's nothing good about this movie. And I think all the actors know it. Jesus rolls, man. What a disappointment. I've never heard, I've seriously never heard you say a movie should get no lip maple leaves before. And if this cast can't save it, if Tim Blank Nelson playing a doctor can't <laughs> save this movie, then nothing can. Like, yeah, it's amazing when you squander that much talent. Like I looked at that cast, like, oh my God, this is a can't miss. But like, no, this is right. just calling in a favor, calling up his buddies. Hey man, you want to do this movie for me? All right, sure. Remember the guy from Lebowski? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to do the movie about him. Yeah, that'll be great. The weirdest part of it is this. The weirdest part is this. So, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's based on Lebowski. It's not making a movie. But then I'm watching the credits and just bizarre ending, by the way. Like, it's like he's making an art film. The last scene, I go, what the hell is this? And so now this makes a little bit of sense when I said it feels like a European art film. Ready for this? The Jesus Rolls itself is based on Oscar-winning French director Bertrand Blier's picaresque 1972 novel Les Valseuses, The Waltzers, which he turned into the controversial 1974 film Going Places, a darkly existential road comedy with at the time groundbreaking graphic sex starring Gerard Depardieu. He's like the French De Niro. Like, this is amazing. So he took the character of Jesus Quintana from The Big Lebowski and then made an adaptation of some 1974 French movie, which was based on a French book, which was controversial at the time. Insane. That's not uh, that... He seemed to bite off more than he could chew with this one, or just felt that the character would be able to hold it for 90 minutes. But I'm there for bowling. You think Jeff Bridges would show up at some point, you know what I mean? Oh, seriously. Well, thank you. That was my other thought. I go, hang on a second. If we're going to do this, at some point, the dude's going to make a cameo. Like, are you, Buscemi's going to be in there. John Goodman will do a walk-on. No. Spoiler alert. None of those guys show up. There's no Lebowski in this Lebowski spinoff or where the hell it is. You don't need to give me a spoiler alert ad, man. I'm not going to see it. (laughs) I don't want anyone making the mistake of going, how the Jesus rolls? Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, I kind of gave it two people. No, no, no. He gave it zero. He said it sucked. He said it's the worst movie of the year. Let's make that clear. All right, coming up next, an an update on how the coronavirus is impacting movies, particularly the new James Bond movie, and Dolly Parton in the news. We'll get to that coming up on Cinephile. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, the only thing worse right now is coronavirus. South by Southwest 2020 canceled. My man Ben Lyons tweeting about this. He loves South by Southwest. Apparently, it's the best thing going in Texas. Annual Austin, Texas Festival was slated to run from March 13th to 22nd. Devastated to share this news with you. The show must go on is in our DNA. This is the first time in 34 years the March event will not take place. We are now working through the ramifications of this unprecedented situation. The cancellation comes after several high-profile artists, comedians, and brands began dropping out of the festival over coronavirus concerns. Beastie Boys Trent Reznor and Ozzy Osbourne, who recently revealed he has Parkinson's disease, also bailed on the festival. So that is a real shame. And then the release of a new James Bond movie. This one took me by surprise. New Bond film put back seven months because of coronavirus. Producers said they had moved the release of No Time to Die from April to November after careful consideration and thorough evaluation of the global theatrical marketplace. Founders of two 007 fan sites called on the film studios to delay its release. It'll now come out in the UK November 12th and the US November 25th. No Time to Die due to be Daniel Craig's final appearance as Bond had been due for release April 3rd. This is a shame, Joe. As we know, spring movies are brutal. Generally speaking, evidenced by the Jesus role. So I was really looking forward to a Bond movie. And instead, we're not going to see Rami Malek playing villain until November. But I get it, especially a movie like this, global audience. You're not just counting on domestic numbers. You need a big, big number all the way around. And if people are avoiding the movie theaters, you got to push back Bond. Yeah, and and it was surprising, too, with the announcement being so late. Because Daniel Craig hosted SNL this weekend where he was promoting this movie and now it's going to be pushed back even more and i just found oh. out this morning too that pearl jam just canceled the first leg of their tour all their shows through april are now canceled as of this morning because of the cor- coronavirus so it's it's yeah. the diet uh the dominoes are starting to fall that's too bad man love pearl jam shout out to my boy Lovelock. Also sad news to pass along, actor Max von Sydow has died at the age of 90. Born in Sweden, became a French citizen in 2002, died on Sunday. What a career. I mean, if you're a real cinephile, real movie fan, you know The Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman's classic film. Also other films including The Exorcist, 1973 Shocker from Billy Friedkin, 1986 Woody Allen directed Hannah and Her Sisters. Also nominated for Best Actor Academy Award for his performance in 1989's Pelly the Conqueror, never seen it. And a Best Supporting Actor nomination for what I thought was a brutally overrated movie. 2011's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. As my friend Chris Goddard, when I told him what the movie said, sounds like it should be extremely annoying and incredibly shitty. I said, yeah, that would have been a better title for the movie. <laughs> uh, apparently the book was much better. Uh, more recently, Cedar was cast as Loris Dan Santeca in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, I didn't realize he was in Star Wars. And Three-Eyed Raven on HBO's Game of Thrones. I mean, Max von Sydow, just a great name, first of all. Seventh Seal, I mean, classic. You go to film school, all you, all you ever see is, you know, the devil playing chess. And uh, definitely played some villains over the years. Creepy guy. I mean, creepy. Max von Sydow, he, he could play definitely some chilling roles. Do you have a memory of Max von Sydow you'd like to share, Joe? Most recently, when he was on Game of Thrones, he was still 
inc- incredible in it. And I think his career is just a testament to longevity and how to maintain longevity in the acting field and being able to get work all the way up until he was in his late 80s. So it's a real, real sad loss that he's passed away. Yeah, also passed, which I did not mention on the podcast. And I'm embarrassed. By the way, Max Moncito, very creepy in Shutter Island, too. My brother loves that movie. I don't think it's great A Scorsese, but I do enjoy it. It's like a good pulp thrill and uh, fun, fun see how just disturbing in that movie, too. I, I had not mentioned, by the way, that Kirk Douglas passed away. I don't know how I missed this. I found out like maybe a month ago, and I believe he passed away like six weeks ago. I was reading my Hollywood Reporter here. Thanks, as always, to Kathy Leogram for the description. I'm like, wait, Kirk Douglas passed away? 103 years of age? Like, that, it's honestly, I felt like I had amnesia. Like, somewhere I, I was away somewhere, and I, I missed this. I don't know how I missed it, but... Uh, rest in peace to Kirk Douglas, 103. Talk about a great run. If you've never seen Spartacus, check that out. Hollywood reported a good story about, um, I think it was Olivia de Havilland, like one of these actresses that he'd worked with. And she said early on, she was like, getting really emotional for every scene. She's like bawling and stuff. He like pulls her aside. like, what are you doing? And she's like, what do you mean? He goes, look at, look at the lens the director's using. Like, look at the shot he's doing. She's like, why? She goes, it's so far away. Like, this is just a master shot. It's just a wide shot. He's just doing it for coverage. If you keep doing this, you're never going to last. Like, wait until it's your close-up. And then go nuts. And then when it's my close-up, again, turn it, turn it down a notch. <laughs> she said it was the best advice ever. She never could have lasted as an actor. If you're giving it a 10 every time, like, no, no, just put it in a three. Just hit your mark and we're good. And then when it's your moment, moment to shine. Good advice there from Kirk Douglas. Uh, the Bad and the Beautiful is a great Kirk Douglas movie. Scorsese and De Niro spoke about the fact you know, that for years they were trying to remake a, mo- make a movie after a casino. And they were thinking about a remake of The Bad and the Beautiful. Which, gosh, I love I wish I could have seen that. I am so glad the Irishman exists, but they wanted to make the bad and the beautiful for those who are unaware. Kirk Douglas plays this Hollywood producer who looks back at his life and he's got all these regrets. So Marty and Bob, they may have mentioned this, I think, on Netflix, you know, the Netflix special after the Irishman with Pesci and Pacino. It may have been there. Maybe I saw it somewhere else. But they, when somebody asked, hey, what, what were you guys trying to do? 95 was Casino. And obviously now we got the Irishman 24 years. They go, we were trying to remake The Bad and the Beautiful because Bob and I worked through the 70s and we thought it would be fun to make a movie about a you know 70s actor, producer, whatever, looking back at his life and regrets, which I, God, I would love to see uh, De Niro and Scorsese if they had done that. But The Bad and the Beautiful, the original movie that I'm talking about, Kirk Douglas, is phenomenal. If you've never seen it, if you like Kirk Douglas, you like old movies, check out The Bad and the Beautiful. Uh, it's a really good movie. And as I mentioned, obviously Spartacus is most famous. And the one that... Um, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of movies over that stretch, but uh, he wanted to make One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, which I didn't realize. Couldn't get it done. They thought he was too old for the role. He gives it to his son, Michael Douglas, who cast Jack Nicholson, and it's one of Nicholson's most memorable roles. And to this, apparently to his dying days, Kirk Douglas says, damn it, that should have been my movie. I wanted to do Cuckoo's Nest, and I couldn't get it done because I thought I was too old, so I had to give it to Michael. And then he gets Nicholson, and he was, blows people away as McMurtry. Could you imagine Kirk Douglas in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, Joe? would have been amazing. Wow, that's such an iconic role for Jack Nicholson, too. So it's, it's, it's hard to picture. It's like picturing Will Smith if he had taken on The Matrix and decided to do Neo. Like Kirk Douglas in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's <laughs> Nest. Like, I'm trying to picture it, but I, I think he would have uh, been good in it. Also, I will plug he was in Paths of Glory, too, yes. um, which Cooper. is another great movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good call. Definitely uh, a legendary career. Out of the Past is my probably my favorite Kirk Douglas movie, mainly because of uh, Mitchum. It's an incredible film noir. If you haven't seen that before, Bad and the Beautiful, and um, I recommend Out of the Past. It's one of my favorite film noirs. And like Joe mentioned, Pass the Glory, Spartacus as well. All right, one more here before we get to the Mount Rushmore Wizard movies. Dolly Parton, baby, wants to pose again for Playboy. 
for 75th birthday. Quote, boobs are still the same. Age is just a number, especially if you're Dolly Parton. Country icon turned 74 in January and said, I don't plan to retire. I just turned 74. I plan to be on the cover of Playboy magazine again. She told 60 Minutes Australia. I did Playboy magazine years ago. I thought it'd be such a hoot if they'll go for it. I don't know if they will. If I could be on the cover again, I'm 75. She first appeared in the magazine's October 1978 cover wearing a strapless top and bunny ears when she was 32. She was the first country star to grace the cover. When asked if she'd wear the same outfit on the new cover, Parton joked, maybe, maybe I could potentially use it. Boobs are still the same. It's like when Tyra Banks got back into the famous uh, swimsuit, you know, she had on SI and was able to do it again all these years later. I mean, listen, sign me up here, okay? I don't, I don't think I've looked at a, I don't think I've looked at a Playboy in decades. But listen, I read it just for. If I did, I would just be for the articles. But if Dolly Parton's there, let's all support Dolly, right, Joe? I'm in. You know, more power to her. If she wants to be on the cover of Playboy in her mid seventies, go for it. That's what I say. Now Playboy needs to get their act together and make it happen. Exactly. She's still working nine to five with Dabney Coleman. <laughs> all right, that's your entertainment news. Now it's time for the Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. All right, the Mount Rushmore movies that feature wizards. Love this idea here from Joe. He also had other ideas here because of Onward. How about movies that start with On in the title, which would have been great because I just could have talked about On Golden Pond and how much I love Henry Fonda in that movie and Catherine Hepburn for all you golden oldies. 1981, what a classic that was. Instead, though, I said, let's go with uh, Mount Rushmore movies that feature wizards, which was Joe's other idea. I mean, you got Big Trouble in Little China, Conan the Barbarian, Excalibur. A ton of Harry Potter, a ton of Lord of the Rings. Let's go. So my first one, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, listen, it's one of the funniest movies of all time. The Knights Who Say Knee, Bring Out Your Dead, a guy banging a bunch of coconuts while he walks. I mean, that's, come on, let's, let's go. Monty Python, Search for the Holy Grail is in. You got to get one Lord of the Rings in. So let's go with Return of the King. I don't know if that is the best one. I feel like Fellowship of the Ring is pretty special just because it was the first and thou shalt not pass. And I love Gandalf. But I will go with Return of the King as a summation of all of it. One best picture, blah, blah, blah. Princess Bride, of course. As soon as Joe suggested the idea, I said, well, if there's a movie with a wizard that I love, it's absolutely The Princess Bride and Billy Crystal and Andre the Giant and My Name is Inigo Montoya. You Killed My Father, Prepare to Die. And lastly, I will go with not The Wiz, but The Wizard of Oz. I mean, when I think of wizards, I'm thinking of uh, the fact that there's a man behind the curtain there who's run the whole show. So with a shout out to the Cowardly Lion and uh, the Tin Man, and of course, Dorothy, my girl, Wizard of Oz. Movies that feature a wizard, my Mount Rushmore, Monty Python, The Search for the Holy Grail, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, The Princess Bride, and The Wizard of Oz. Joe? I like that list. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Fantastic movie. Classic, classic, classic 80s movie. I will also go with Fantasia, 1940, with Mickey Mouse as the wizard. And then Doctor Strange, I'll do that from 2016, just because visually I thought it was like Inception, but on steroids. Um, and then since you did Wizard of Oz, I will go with The Wiz. I love it. The fact you got The Wiz in there, that's fantastic, man. I love it. It's a good list. A good Mount Rushmore. Let us know your picks. Cinephile Pod or at Adnan as for tweet us right now. It's time for Total Recall.
All right, now it's time for Total Recall. One of my most famous moments as a broadcaster, because I was covering the Academy Awards with my guy Ben Lyons backstage for the Academy, Oscar.com, when the greatest hullabaloo ever in Oscars history took place, and I got to be the one screaming, Moonlight won Best Picture, as Jeremy Klein went up on stage. It was an unforgettable moment. If you want to listen to previous episodes of Cinephile, you go back to 2016, I tell the full story in detail. Or 2017, excuse me. Uh, it was wild, man. Three years ago. It's a night I'll never forget. A night the Academy will never forget. Poor Warren Beatty, poor Faye Dunaway. We're going to look back at the award winners. And first and foremost, best picture. Joe, Moonlight won. What were the other nominees? Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. I thought it was an incredibly strong year. I thought Lion, the first hour of Lion, was as good as any movie I'd seen in a long time. It felt like uh, Italian neorealism. I mean, it's just this kid just just running and just escaping. It was just gripping from, from that whole hour. I thought the second hour got a little more melodramatic. There's no need for Nicole Kidman to show up playing. I, we'll get to her in a second. The fact she was nominated to me was, was, was unnecessary, to say the least. But the first hour, just focusing on a six-year-old kid, who is without his parents trying to survive in India, I thought was masterful. Manchester by the Sea was one of my favorite movies of that year. But Moonlight, listen, Barry Jenkins is my guy. Go back and listen to previous episodes of Cinephile. Uh, Me and Barry developed our uh, friendship. He was following me on Twitter because I had mentioned him on ESPN. The fact he's a big Florida State guy. Got him on Cinephile. This was November. Months later, I see him at the Oscars. I'm like, yo, man, if you win, this will be awesome. We get a picture. And then hours later, he wins Best Picture, one of the greatest moments ever. I think the Academy got it right, even though it was an unforgettable way to do it. But like I said, strong year. I mean, Fences was one of Denzel's best movies in a long time. Hell or High Water, I don't know one person didn't like that movie. Like, that's one of those movies you can recommend to anybody. Like, that dude, that's a great movie. Um, and La La Land, I thought, was wonderful. Musicals aren't my thing. Really strong movies across the board. But I will go with the Academy and Moonlight. Joe? I think the Academy got it right with Moonlight um, that year. I know La La Land was the favorite going into it, but just really quick to back you up on Hell or High Water, it, it is, you never see a modern Western like that that takes place today that's totally Western about you know bank robbers evading the law. If no one's seen Hell or High Water, definitely check that out. Yeah, I would say of, of this entire list, if you go, I haven't seen any of these movies. If you watch Hell or High Water, that's the safest pick that you're going to enjoy. Like I said, personal favorite, Manchester by the Sea. And I think the first hour of Line is incredible. La La Land is a great musical. It's not my thing. Arrival, I haven't even mentioned. Dan Stanzik is going to be upset at me. He loved Arrival. I mean, it's a good sci-fi movie. It's not always my thing, but it was really good. Uh, so yeah, let's get the best director. Damien Chazelle won for La La Land. Who are the other nominees? Denis Villeneuve for Arrival. Mel Gibson, Hacksaw Ridge. Kenneth Lonergan, Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. So I was outraged that Mel Gibson was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge ahead of Scorsese for Silence, which was just beyond absurd. Denis Villeneuve, I have to wave the flag for Canada. Big, big, big moment when a Canadian director gets nominated for Best Director, so I was thrilled. I think Lonergan's strength is as a writer, which we'll get to in a second. So I think it could have been Jenkins or Chazelle, and I think La La Land, honestly, the choreography was pretty remarkable, and especially that first 10 minutes, uh, it's another day of sun. I mean, that, that whole sequence, I believe he shot it twice. Like, that's insane, the way he was able to get the choreography. You mentioned how hard it is to make a modern-day Western, modern-day musicals. I mean, look at Cats, for God's sake. That's both, it's a cinematic abomination. It's tough to get these things right. And La La Land, yeah, it's about itself, and it's self-absorbed. It's typical Hollywood passing itself on the back. We you know what? It's awfully entertaining, and even though Ryan Gosling is not a great singer, 
He's a pretty good dancer. And Emma Stone was fabulous in the movie. And I'll give Chazelle credit for being a young director. I think the guy is now 33, maybe. At the time, I think he was 30 when he won Best Director. Whiplash and La La Land, out of the gate, I think it was a good choice. I wouldn't have an issue if Barry had won, obviously, but Chazelle winning, I was fine with. I I get that. I'm going to go with Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. I think either could be... There's there's a case made for both of them. I'm going with Barry Jenkins just because of how he framed a lot of his shots, a lot of his establishing shots, the colors in it. And it feels like a Miami movie, but you don't, they don't reference that they're in Miami all the time. But I think you, he really captured the city, um, if that makes any sense. No, that, that makes great sense. It's a very good point, because you're right. Whenever you think of Miami, you think of South Beach and Party Capital, and he's showing you know, the inner city of Miami. And again, a risky movie. I mean, you don't see movies like that made about this black gay character living up in crime. Mahershala Ali is playing this drug dealer who befriends him. I mean, that, that's a risky movie. And I remember Barry Jenkins told me, because listen, movies like mine get made for $2 million, and that's it. Like, you're not getting a budget for a movie like that. It's either $2 million or you're getting $200 million for Iron Man 3. So the fact he was able to make that movie, and, and you're right about the signature style with the colors and the look of it, the music, whole thing's really well done. Uh, I'm with you on Barry. If he had won, that would have been fine too. Best actor, Casey Affleck won for Manchester by the Sea. What were the other nominees? Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling, La La Land, Viggo Mortensen, Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. Well, sentimentally, I really wanted Denzel to win for Fences. He's one of our great actors. It would have been his third Academy Award, only his second for Best Actor. He's made a lot of action movies, which are not my forte, not my cup of tea. So I was happy to see him go back to old school Denzel. Rose? I mean, he is so commanding in that movie, a real passion project. So I would have been happy to see him win. But I didn't have an issue with Affleck winning. I think it's a heartbreaking performance, the way he's mumbling and shambling and just, I mean, filled with self-loathing over his behavior and what's happened in his past. I mean, really a troubled, haunting character. And I know there was some controversy about him winning because of his off-the-field antics, which I don't support, obviously, but I thought it was the right decision. I'm glad he won Best Actor. Definitely not Garfield. Gosling, as I said, I love him. He's Canadian. But I didn't think he sang particularly well. And Vigo was a real shock. I mean, he's one of my favorites. The fact he was nine for Captain Fantastic. Again, we had him on Cinema 5. I want to go back to that interview. He was a chatty fellow. Vigo, we got him in like, this was when Captain Fantastic came out. So this was like summer of 2016. I remember he was amazing. I was at the beach in Rhode Island, and I'm talking to Vigo Mortensen. And, and he grew up, you know, I grew up in Kingston, Ontario. He grew up in Watertown. So like, we, that's right across the board. It's an hour away. So off air, we had like, I swear to God, a 10-minute conversation about Watertown and Kingston. We did the actual interview. He was fabulous. Go back and listen to Vigo Mortensen. Sound quality wasn't great because I was at the beach. But anyways, long way of saying I have no issue with Casey Affleck winning Best Actor. Joe? Casey Affleck was amazing in Manchester by the Sea. I will give it to Ryan Gosling just because you're right. Modern day musical, having to sing. He wasn't a great singer, but dance, act, carry the movie uh, seemed pretty difficult. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Ryan Gosling for that. Though I do know... To back up your point, Denzel Washington after these Oscars was irate. I remember reading an article the day after where he just like tore into the Academy because um, he felt as though he was snubbed. And it was a great performance by him, too. I would have had no issue with him winning either. Yeah, I, I do remember that as well. Like This wasn't one of those like, hey, graceful uh, losers. He was like, no, this is BS. Like, my movie is awesome. I was awesome in it, and I should have won. <laughs> like, I, I, I'll have to look up the article. I don't, I don't recall him slamming Affleck, but I think he was like, listen, 
I just won the freaking AFI award for like, you know, one of the great actors of all time. And this is my best movie. So I, I, I do like how angry he was about <laughs> it because he, he was awesome in it. You don't, you don't normally see that. No, no gracious loser here. Uh, so far, I'm agreeing with the Academy. I think all these picks are pretty good. How about Best Actress? Emma Stone won for La La Land. Who are the other nominees? Isabel Huppert for L. Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, and Meryl Streep, Florence Foster Nightingale. I, I did think, and I was stunned, Florence Foster Jenkins was much better than I thought it would be. And Meryl Streep's amazing at it. She plays this like horrific singer. Like she's so bad. But her husband's Hugh Grant. He's loving and caring and he supports her. And uh, it's actually surprisingly funny and charming. But I don't think she should have won. Again, I think the Academy got it right. I thought Emma Stone playing that young actress. There's so many actors out there who can relate to that. Just people in life. You're aspiring to your dreams and you're coming up short and you want it so badly and things aren't working out for you. You have to persevere. I thought she was charming. She's perky. She's friends with Ben Lyons. I think it should have been Emma Stone and she won. Good job of the Academy. I have no problem with Emma Stone winning. I'm going to give it to Natalie Portman for Jackie just because, and I really try to veer away from when uh, giving more credit to actors who do historical figures, but I thought she totally nailed Jackie Onassis um, completely. So I'll give it to Natalie Portman. But I will back up your point on Floris Foster Jenkins. Really charming, really funny movie. Everyone see that too. I didn't like the movie Jackie, oh. I must admit. I, I saw it in the theater. I think she's a good actress, but I thought it was so lifeless like as a movie i thought it was so stilted like it was just one note and one tone the whole time i remember thinking like oh my god what am i watching here and i remember thinking if this movie gets nominated for best picture like i'm gonna have a heart attack so i remember <laughs> i remember being thrilled that was the only nomination like okay fine if you think natalie looks like jackie onassis and you know portray grieving well but i i did not think it was a good movie at all yeah i i know they're banking on a lot of the historical I know, for example, she's given a tour through the White House and shot for shot furniture in the exact same place is the exact same as the original footage of Jackie O giving a tour. And I know they're kind of banking on that a lot, quite a bit, too. But I, I you know, overall liked it. It was a little long, though. I will say that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's not what I would recommend. Best Supporting Actor was my man Mahershala Ali for Moonlight as Juan. What were the other nominees? Jeff Bridges, Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges, Manchester by the Sea, Dev Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Listen, if you want to go lifetime achievement, I would be happy to see Michael Shannon win an Academy Award, but I thought Marshall was fantastic. He's only in the first part of Moonlight, but his presence, uh, his grace, you know, playing this drug dealer who's being kind to this kid and showing his... Uh, you know, it's very poignant. The scene where he takes him swimming and stuff. I mean, it was really, and it was kind of the birth of another great actor, a guy who's proven he's a real talent by his work in True Detective, by the stuff he's done. Um, you know, obviously winning another Oscar with Green Book. He'd already proved himself on the small screen. I thought Marshall winning was the right choice. I think the Academy was great this year. I'm telling you right now, I, I was agreeing with every one of these choices. I was happy he won Best Supporting Actor. Obviously, Britch is very good as Marcus Hamilton, a racist sheriff who's actually likable. Uh, Hedges tortured again. I mean, Manchester by the Sea, as well acclaimed as it gets. Dave Patel, I didn't think it was great in line. I, 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 I'm not crazy about that nomination. Shannon for Lifetime Achievement, I have no issue, but I do think the Academy got it right with Mahershala winning. I agree. I think uh, Mahershala Ali was very deserving of the award, and his his presence in the first half of the mil, uh, movie, just like you said, outstanding. Definitely would give it to Mahershala Ali. I'll make this one quick. Best Supporting Actress, the Academy, absolutely got it right. Viola Davis, when she's got that snot going, forget about it. Phlegm everywhere. She's bawling. Fences, she goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Denzel and earns every bit of the acclaim she got as her Oscar Best Supporting Actress. This is an easy one for me. What were the other nominees? 
Naomi Harris, Moonlight, Nicole Kidman, Lion, Octavia Spesser, Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams, Manchester by the Sea. This is yeah. a route for Viola Davis. I, th- I, th- I agree with you. I think Viola Davis, the clear winner here. Michelle Williams gets a couple really good scenes. They're impactful. Maybe 12 minutes of screen time. Not good enough. Best original screenplay. Again, the Academy got it right. Kenneth Lonergan from Manchester by the Sea. A harrowing story about loss and perseverance. Some other good nominees as well. What were those, Joe? 20th Century Woman, Mike Mills, Hell or High Water, Taylor Sheridan, La La Land, Damien Chazelle, and The Lobster, Yorgos Lanthimos. I have no recollection of what the hell 20th Century Women is about, and I'm shocked that Mike Mills was nominated for it. I don't know if it was good or it was bad. I just don't know what the hell it is. So Joe will quickly look up for me what the hell that movie was. Hell or High Water is a really good script. La La Land is more about the directing. I don't think it's a script that was special. The Lobster, I do like Yorgos Lanthimos, and I'm happy it was nominated. I can't even see with a straight face. I'm laughing at that movie, and Colin Farrell has about a half a dozen laugh-out-loud moments. But Manchester by the Sea, great script by Kenneth Lonergan, who is an excellent dramatist. Also co-wrote Gangs of New York. I like Lonergan a lot. I'm glad he won. Yeah, they got it right. It, it, it's it's such a fantastic movie. And I, for the sake of Total Recall, though, I'll go with The Lobster. Um, and here goes Lanthimos for it. Really weird, original, kind of oh. funny at times script. But I, I did enjoy that movie. Uh, really quick, 20th Century Woman. It's the story of a teenage boy, his mother, and two other women who helped raise him among the love and freedom of Southern California in 1979. Written and directed by Mike Mills. Annette Bening was uh, the protagonist, along with Elle Fanning. Greta Gerwig's in it. Billy Crudup played William. Oh, Billy Crudup's in it, okay. Yep, he's in it. Um, Kieran Walters. So, yeah, a few names in it, yeah. Check it out. I just, I don't recall it, man. My cockles of my brain are being pushed aside. Best adaptive script. I'm telling you right now, I agreed with everything the Academy did this year. This is the greatest year ever by the Academy. (laughs) I agree. Moonlight, Barry Jenkins won. Best adapted screenplay. Story by Terrell Alvin McCraney based on the play in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue by Terrell Alvin McCraney. What were the other nominees? Arrival, Fences, Hidden Figures, and Lion. Again, it's a route for me. I, I think Lion... The first hour is the directing and the performances. And in this case, directing was not nominated for Lion, so I can't recognize that part of the film. I don't think the book necessarily was special. And I, by the way, I keep mentioning the, the first hour and then by the, the ending, the last 10 minutes, obviously is very powerful. Hidden Figures was okay. It wasn't great. Disney look at it. was a very nice story about African-American women and how important they were towards science. Fences, again, I have not read the play, but again, I feel that's carried by Denzel and... Um, by Viola Davis, and Arrival, I'm more about the directing. I'm glad Denis Villeneuve got nominated. I don't know if the script was that great. So to me, again, no-brainer. Best adapted screenplay, absolutely Barry Jenkins. Yeah, I agree with you. The Academy, the Academy got it right. And Moonlight, if, no one, if, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you haven't seen it, just stop what you're doing or take time this weekend to watch that. It's, it's really great, and it's such a great story, too. So love Moonlight. I love it. All right, good total recall. 2017 Oscars, movies from 2016. Mount Rushmore, movies featuring wizards. Uh, and stay safe right now. Coronavirus everywhere. And please, whatever you do, avoid the Jesus rolls. And if you got some kids, go out and check onward. Next week here on the podcast, I'll review Ben Affleck's new film, The Way Back. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.